0: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Coming Home Network Presents. We have all kinds of conversations here about uh, things that people struggle with on their way into Catholicism. Uh, We talk to a lot of people who came to the Catholic Church from a variety of different backgrounds, and hopefully the unique specificity of their experiences is a help to some of you uh, who maybe have similar experiences. I'm Matt Swaim, Director of Outreach for the Coming Home Network, and if you're someone dealing with issues like the one we're going to be discussing today, we get to talk about Halloween... Um, if that's something that's been part of your background and wrestling with your experience of it and how Catholics treat it, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can get into our online community, which is community.chnetwork.org. And, of course, if you want to make sure that this and uh, everything else that we offer to our viewers and members and those who seek us out is free, then please go to chnetwork.org slash donate. All right. So this is going to be a fun one today. I know I say that all the time, but this is going to be it's going to be a little bit wild. This is our Halloween episode. I probably should have worn something orange. Maybe should have dressed up for this. I did not. I do have Thriller in the background. That's the best I can do for right now. But uh, my guests today are both former Baptists, and like me, we're not really down with the Halloween thing as kids. Uh, we've got Sam Guzman from The Catholic Gentleman. He is the founder of That Great Apostolate. Many of you are probably familiar with his work. Bo Bonner uh, is... Uh well, he does a whole bunch of things, but my special affinity for him comes from his work on Iowa Catholic Radio and the uncommon good his radio show because I love me some radio but gentlemen, welcome to the show
1: yeah thank nice you family. uh i I should have dressed up too, but they don't make Halloween outfits that big anymore
0: Well, they still they sell face paint and very large <laughs> tubes so uh well. This question of Halloween is one that, depending on how old you were in the 80s or maybe even early 90s, was a very volatile question. And um, people can find out your own journeys to the Catholic Church in more detail, your narrative arcs. Uh, Bo, yours is up. Uh, Sam, you just recently recorded one. It hasn't aired yet. So people can hear the whole piece of your story. But I'm going to start with you, Sam, because you went to Bob Jones University, and if people don't know much about that strain of the Baptist world, let's just say that Halloween is not like their highest holy day. So how did you celebrate or not celebrate Halloween growing up?
2: Uh, Well, growing up, yeah, it was, it was just something we completely ignored as a family, or maybe if we were at Walmart and saw the Halloween decorations, it was something that we thought was, you know, disgusting or, you know, creepy or celebration of evil. And, Um, You know, I don't really have too many memories of doing anything for Halloween as a kid other than uh, we made sure to make sure the porch light was off. I remember uh, my mom one year putting a cross on the door and putting a bucket of tracks out uh, to kind of ward off any would-be trick-or-treaters. And I remember uh, watching trick-or-treaters come up to our door, ring the doorbell, and then walk away disappointedly. And, and thinking, you know, with a kind of, uh, uh, air of moral superiority, you know, those poor lost souls, you know, uh, out trick or treating, uh, and celebrating evil. Um, and so that was just, that was kind of my memories of it. it was just either something that we A outright ignored or B like actively resisted, uh, or condemned. Um, and, and of course, being a good Baptist, I came across from time to time the dreaded chick tracks uh you know with with uh evil pumpkins and and goblins and things like oh yes ex- yes exactly exactly yeah uh <laughs> i was wondering when you said you passed out tracks oh I man have that a, brings a back memories. fuzzy memories tracks.
0: so and not only that um i used to be on the mailing list for jack chick uh chick publications and one of their biggest times that they would send you out stuff is halloween right so i have like these promo things of like you know when they say trick or treat what would Jesus do? Learn the answer inside. And these are the options. I, I'm just going to read this because you're going to find this fascinating. Um And this kind of gets to a little bit of the range of how we variously experience Halloween. So would he A, what would Jesus do? Would he A, run off to church and ignore them so he could fellowship with other believers? Would he B, stay home but turn off all the lights, looking at you Sam, and hide back in the TV room? Or C, would he use this once a year opportunity To share his love with these precious lost souls. So that's the Jack Chick method. So you were a mix of Or D, all of the
2: above, right? Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How about you, Bo? Because I know that you were not as walled off from the world as Sam, but I do know you had some interesting experiences of Halloween as a a Baptist from Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we did Halloween kind of like we did dancing. You weren't supposed to, but everyone was really good at it. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know if you'd brag about it on Sunday, but I probably was winning awards for most times as GI Joe, uh, for Halloween in, um, the eighties. But, uh, what I think is interesting is right around the time, um, I'm starting to remember Halloween is when they're trying to figure out ways like, okay, the culture's going nuts about Halloween, you know, all the scary movies like Jason and Freddy Krueger, all that stuff starts getting big. So there's the big gambit about how do you go out and get people, you know, tricking them uh, into thinking they're going to a normal Halloween thing, but really we're going to evangelize like that, uh, like the track was saying. And so I remember the sort of very beginning of Hell Houses, uh, which I think is, yes, yeah, like that sort of special mix of 80s earnest evangelicism mixed with people who, it's, you know, it's, it's like the 80s, the, the, the Christian rock that started, right? Like, why should the devil have all the fun? Well, that sort of trickled over to Halloween, too. So we're like, maybe we can scare the hell out of people, literally. And, uh, man, some people started going hog wild on that one.
0: Yeah, so there's actually, uh, in in research for this, um, I think I might even showed Sam this when he was out to take the journey home. There's like a documentary out there about hell houses, right? And there's various takes on how this can work, but you basically trick out your church basement and you invite people in and, you know these teenagers at the beginning get in a car wreck and die and they go to hell and then they come back much like the rich man came back appealing to Lazarus and yell at the Christians for how come you you could have saved me from this and you said nothing to me and now I'm burning in hell and it's your fault. <laughs> right? I mean, these are <laughs> jarring, jarring things. I don't know like if that was the tack that your hell houses use, Bo, or was there a mix of other things going on or what was
1: it? Well, I mean, I always think it's great when uh, pop culture accidentally remakes Dante's Inferno, even if it's a little uh, lo-fi. Uh, <laughs> I really think there you have this idea where you get older folks who are like, okay, let's just admit it. People are watching all these movies. And so then you have people who were like, this is going to be their moment where they wish all this time they could have the blood and guts and the gore with the other kids, but they've been told no. And so it's like one shining moment, Right you get to do this for the Lord. And so, yeah, it really depended on who you had locally and I guess how much um, makeup talent they had. Uh, But yes, the car wreck one is sort of like the gold standard and I think people went off from that. Um, To me, what's interesting about that is it goes to show you how didactic a lot of this was. So funny enough, it was Halloween's problem was how symbolic it was. And so you see, like you said, the, the chick tracks like misunderstood what the symbols all meant. So funny enough, the hell house for these people's minds uh, was to make this like rational again, right? Okay, well we'll do the hell house and we'll, we'll ask what the what they learn. What do you what do you learn from from Halloween? Uh, it's funny though, of course, like we were making the joke that of course this is a long history of sort of symbolically reminding us about death, about like laughing at the demons, all of these things like this. Um, a very rich intellectual history, but in the '80s, sort of reinvented as flat as possible. Like, if kids don't go out of the Hell House crying because they realize how bad hell is, and you have to lay it on that thick, you can't trust someone to sort of show, not tell them.
0: And there's another layer of this that we can possibly get into later, but this blood and guts approach to the Hell House, um, you know, shock factor. To get people to believe and to take seriously, like, the actual reality of hell, which we all still believe in, by the way, is happening in these churches that don't have crucifixes on their walls, right? Right. <laughs> so there's, the, <laughs> there's a piece of this, too,
1: uh, that's in
0: the puzzle. But just to share my own experience, so I felt like a total loser when I was trying to find people to do this episode with, because I was reaching out to all the fundamentalists I know who are now Catholic and all the former Pentecostals and all these former Baptists, and I was like, hey, I'm looking for these people who were not allowed to celebrate Halloween and who had to dress up in their baseball uniform instead of an actual costume when they went to public school that day, and... You know, people like me who had to sit out in the halls and color pages while everybody inside the classroom was watching The Great Pumpkin on a VHS and a TV that they rolled in from the library, like, and everybody was like, sorry, man, I used to trick or treat and my family didn't have a problem with it. I'm like, I must be this complete and total loser, right? Um But at the same time, I have really cool memories uh from that era in my family, Um as weird as it might have been in retrospect, I mean, we, like you, Sam, would shut off the lights and go to the basement and play Trouble with the Pop-O-Matic bubble with, like, you know, candles lit and stuff. And then uh I do remember also my parents were, uh you know, key organizers of this Harvest Party thing that we would do, which is, like, food and fun and games and skits. And my parents had this really awesome skit where, you know, my dad would stick his... Uh, hands through the bottom of this like long shirt and put them in shoes my mom would stick the arms in through the back of the shirt and the holes and they would do like this little like the dwarf routine of Tim Conway for the whole church I have really great memories of some of the things that we did but um we we all kind of have these varied experiences and I think the thing that we all had in common is that we didn't really know what to do with this day uh on the calendar that at least in our experience, was this secular high holy day of blood and guts and witches and goblins and vampires and Freddy Krueger and Jason and Mike Myers. So um, my question for you, Sam, like in retrospect, was it right to reject the evil? <laughs> I mean, was it right to have like some sort of like an internal resistance to like that stuff you saw in Walmart that was kind of glorifying some of this?
2: There is a dark side to Halloween. You know, I think some people can get fascinated by it for – for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, I think that that perhaps that 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 undercurrent of uh, fascination with evil, you know, I mean, this was around the same time I remember when uh, a lot of the like the Ouija board stuff was going on and a lot of other things culturally that are I remember seminars like going to seminars on the evils of dungeons and dragons, the potential pitfalls of Pokemon. And of course, Harry Potter. And like, and so, and so, uh, wait, wait, Harry
0: Potter. I get, I get dungeons and dragons.
2: What was wrong with Pokemon? I still to this day don't know. Um, but, but it was thrown in the, in the mix with the rest of those. I, I don't really remember what the fear was. I just remember there was a lot of fear around the viral spread of Pokemon. I think it had something to do with its origins of like, they claimed it was like Shinto gods or something. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was really far fetched, whatever it was. But, uh, <laughs> um, so they, it was just a lot of fear. I just remember a lot of like fear about our culture is literally going to hell. And this is the celebration of evil is just one more evidence of that. So, you know, I think in, in some sense, there was, was a healthy, you know, desire to, you know, flee from evil. Um, but on the other hand, I think, uh, it was a lot of it was, uh, misunderstandings, <laughs> if nothing else, of what what it was actually going on, um, and kind of the flip side of Halloween, there there is kind of an innocence there uh, that that can be a part of it, um, and, and a healthy human instinct to kind of fa- confront death that we you know we could talk about more, but but uh, I, I think really uh, it just came from a place of fear, and you know as I've Kind of matured in my faith, I you know I've come to believe that you know, greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world, and you know light shines in darkness, and dark the darkness does not overcome it, and 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 so I think the 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 fear sometimes was disproportionate to the reality we were facing, but but it was just an interesting subculture, an interesting time where. Um, you know it really was i the the feel, the bigger feelings that I remember were one of a fear uh and and b just uh kind of pity for these 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 lost sinners who were ringing our doorbell for candy and um and just like just a uh, a general sense of of uh of, of moral concern and, and and danger around it I'm glad you brought up the Pokemon thing because I think it actually hints at a
0: larger piece of this question of of how um you as as baptists and and i was kind of more in like the holiness movement um and and how we process these questions so the evil was real there's like no question that glorifying certain things is just straight up evil (laughs) i mean there's just right uh and we can get into the difference between depicting something and glorifying it you know perhaps later on but um I think sometimes, at least in my world, and you know, Bo, you and I, I think, are around the same age, so I don't know if this was a phenomenon in your world, but I remember very clearly that one of the um, main things that, you know, when people were like, well, why don't we celebrate Halloween around here in this church? People would hand them a tape uh, by a guy named Mike Warnke, who, if you don't know, is a Christian comedian, and he, this is a very odd mix of, of things that he was involved in, so he was a Christian comedian, but he also claimed to have been a former, like, satanic high priest who had this big conversion. <laughs> I can and remember so,
1: this. <laughs> Yeah, you bring it So, yeah, so,
0: <laughs> so we, we do this, you know, we I remember listening to this tape, right? And it's terrifying. He's like, this is what we do on Halloween when, in the Church of Satan when I was a high priest. And he's talking about, like, women being impregnated just so they can give birth to babies who could be sacrificed and stuff. And, like, these horrible, horrible things, like... Uh, you know, the 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 High Holy Day of Satanists and and Black Masses, I didn't even understand what a Mass was, so I wasn't sure what this meant, right? I just thought it was like a satanic worship service. Well, down the road, Cornerstone Magazine, which organized the uh or no yeah, that's Cornerstone Magazine, which organized the Cornerstone Music Festival run by Jesus People of the USA, was like is this guy's sacrificing babies? Yeah. Somebody better call the FBI, right? Like right. This is... So an investigation takes place. Turns out he made This stuff up right but we were so keyed in on like the fear and needing a rationale and and that that we weren't scrupulous enough about i mean the truth is bad enough (laughs) you know when it comes to these sorts of things but i think we sort of seized on that and and a lot of people got took and mike made off with the bag right so so there's
1: that too um did you run into him at all, Bo, in your world? Well, I don't remember his name. I remember hearing the tapes and, like, the sort of satanic panic is sort of threaded through. We don't want to say how old we are, but, you know, no one cards us anymore is the point. And, yes, I remember all of that. What I think's funny on this one, so, you know, you're talking about Harvest Festival. Of course, that's, like, a billion times more pagan than Halloween oh, that's ever that, was.
0: My wife's argument, by the way, is that anybody who's celebrating a Harvest feel, uh, Festival is, like, way more into paganism. Oh, yeah. that's than,
1: I mean. Yeah, of course, you know, there's the the Jewish Harvest Festival. There's there's been Harvest Festivals, but it's just funny. Like, they straight up pagans have Harvest Festivals. They did not have All Hallows' Eve, the Eve before the Holy Ones. And I think that that's what people missed. So when you go, was was this wrong-handed? I'm going to say almost completely yes, because even the abuses come from the fact that if you suppress uh, the world enough and flatten it of its spiritual realm, uh, people are just going to sort of, like, barf out every so often this like wish that the world could be full of beings again now we've commercialized it completely but and we we also sort of concentrated in halloween because used to the liturgical year had multiple times where this idea of the liminal space between the living and the dead kind of got foggy of course it makes sense on the before all saints and all souls day but if you remember like what's the weird christmas song where it talks about telling ghost stories during christmas uh I mean, that used to be a lot of what we do with Halloween used to be associated with Christmas time, actually. Right. You know, so you like you would make the fool be king for a day. You would all dress up. You would mock the powerful. You would mock death. And there's multiple times during the year, if you talk about sort of medieval Europe, where this sort of like letting it all hang out because we know uh, even the demons can have their day because the next day the saints are going to come and kick their butt um, much healthier Then this idea of, like, let's flatten and sanitize and make the world very empty. And when you make the world like that, even secular godless people yearn for something supernatural. And if they can't imagine it being a god or holy or saints, then they're going to go with uh, demons and devils and things like this. Humanity wants that. And if you take it from them, then they're going to commercialize it and make it what Halloween is today. Uh, It it, it is wrong. It's the same reason why Christmas ends up in our day and era, very uh, sort of secular holiday, because English Protestantism has such a long history. I mean, English Protestants suppressed Christmas at one point. So, you know, I I, I don't think we're ever on the right path trying to suppress holidays. It nearly always backfires uh, because people yearn uh for these liminal times when the living and the dead actually have something like a communion with each other.
0: Yeah, so um when you're saying that about there being things that are kind of funneled into Halloween that used to be more associated with Christmas. I remember being in Mexico one Christmas um and it was pretty cool. Uh for a number of reasons because they just they just party better down there in every single way that the liturgical calendar can be magnified they know how to do it but they would have these nativity plays and it's a tradition that in the nativity scene for like the devil to be like back there in the back of the nativity scene and if you have like the live nativity plays um there's always a guy dressing up like the devil or traditionally there's a guy dressing up like the devil and he comes out and the little kids like yell and scream at him and like throw rocks at him and like try and beat the you know and see joseph's supposed to be like beating the snot out of this guy with his staff like um this isn't a glorification of evil right like this is a recognition of its reality and a recognition that we got a fight it. But Sam, I want I want to get some of your take on that that concept of like the human yearning for something in the spiritual and mystical and magical and mythical realm because you're a big Tolkien and Lewis and Chesterton guy. I I wonder how that's kind of informed you over time of like this need for the human being to like express itself and connect with more than just like the economic realities and the political realities and the practical realities, but but like these bigger sort of mythical realities.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean human beings are liturgical beings, uh, in the sense that um we we seek those patterns uh that that um are are, are they're kind of reflected in the liturgy. So for example, in the in ancient times, a lot of it was connected to the cycles of the year. You know, spring, summer, Fall, winter, and as Bo was talking about, like these harvest festivals and things where, where agriculture was very much tied up with worship. Uh, in fact, the word agriculture has the word cult in it, which means not cult as in like, you know, strange cults, but cult as in worship. Uh, and, and so there's a, there was a, a tying together of the human experience of the supernatural, Bound to the cycles of the natural world. And, and so a lot of these festivals and celebrations that human beings came up with were, were tied to the rhythms of the year. But then when Christianity entered the picture, Christianity actually, you know, you hear a lot of modern, like, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins types like saying Christianity was like this, this horrible thing that just wiped out all these beautiful traditions of you know the, actually the uh, Christianity didn't it actually took a lot of these traditions and baptized them and Christianized them and and took them up into the gospel narrative so we talk about like myths as it's kind of the word myth has kind of taken on the meaning of something untrue but actually myths are actually very true they're, they're a narrative structure to reality. Um, that we all perceive and that we all believe in whether we realize it or not. But Christianity took these pagan festivals and took them into the kind of the bigger myth or narrative of the Gospels and the story of the redemption of all creation. So Christianity didn't come to destroy what was there, it came to, uh, orient it towards Christ, who was really ultimately the Lord of all creation. And and so what we see is, you know, like uh, I'm, if you're going to be consistent as a Protestant that hates Halloween, you also have to get suspicious about these other holidays like Christmas and Easter, which some, God bless them, Protestants are consistent about that. And they say, hey, the Christmas tree is a pagan symbol. We're not going to have that. Easter comes from celebrating, you know, Oster, the, the goddess of fertility. We can't have that. So we're just going to wipe out all these holidays and we're just going to do nothing. Which actually is quite consistent. But on the other hand, if you're going to admit that there are, a, there is a human instinct towards festival and towards celebration and towards an acknowledgement of this higher order, um, why not Christianize that? <laughs> and why not make these festivals oriented towards Christ? Uh, and, and, and that's really what all of these holidays do, including Halloween properly understood is about the communion of saints. It's not ultimately about A celebration of evil. It's about an acknowledgement of our union with uh, those who um, are in heaven and and uh, our communion together. So, um, but I don't know if that answers your question. But really, this idea that that we have this like mythical framework that we view through which we view the world, and Christianity has really taken some of these, these these festivals that were very just natural human instincts and taking them up into the bigger story of redemption history.
1: My favorite joke about that is someone, on I think it was on Twitter, someone was like, you Christians, all you do is steal pagan holidays. Someone's like, yeah, and if you don't stop mouthing off, we're going to take Toyotathon too. I thought that was pretty good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a, you know, you could joke about that, but like, let's think about this. So what is uh, one of the most enduring Christian symbols in the most Christian of national traditions. Ireland, right? It's the Celtic cross. Well, if you look at it, you know, the Celts worshiped the sun. And Saint Patrick said, I see your sun, I'll slap a cross in front of it, <laughs> right? So you know who's really the true sun. And so here we have this symbol that people don't realize is the sun, but the cross is like in front of it, imposed upon it, as if to say, you you were looking for God, and I am putting him directly in front of you. Right. I mean, this is this is the way that the church looks at these things um, kind of throughout time. But there are some other crazy things I want to get to with you all while I've got you related to this whole question of Catholicism, Halloween, your Baptist roots, my holiness roots. And that is um, this idea of how. So this doesn't apply across the board for all Christians, right? Um, So there are a lot of mainline denominations that have kind of a more progressive and sort of materialist view of the world, right? They don't take spiritual warfare like super serious. Uh you guys as Baptists did, right? I as a holiness person did. The Catholic Church very much takes the reality of spiritual warfare very seriously. Uh, so much so that in all those horror movies that uh that you mentioned, uh right? And all the vampire movies and the exorcist movies, right? Even Hollywood, secular Hollywood, knows. And this is, you know, something that some of my people who work in film reviewing, you know, like to say. Listen, when your uncle gets possessed by a legion of demons, you're not calling Pastor Bob from Harvest Community Fellowship. It's not going to happen, right? You're going to call the Catholic priest. They got the nuclear option for you, right? They got the power of Christ, which compels the demon. In Catholicism, right we don't take the Twilight approach to vampires where you're, like, swooning over them, you fall in love with them, you eventually want to be like them. No! Vampires are not meant to be fallen in love with. Vampires are meant to be sent back to the hell from whence they came by the power of the crucifix being pushed in their faces, right? Like, this is, like, a thing that the church takes seriously, so I wonder if maybe um, either one of you could comment. Uh, well, I'll start with you, Beau. On... Just how seriously the church takes the reality of evil and its responsibility to fight it with everything she's got.
1: Yeah, you know, this is actually very interesting from like my family history than where I end up. My family ended up being Southern Baptists because in Oklahoma, that was the um that was the more intellectual choice than what some of them were up to. You're talking about the holiness tradition. We had like straight up like snake handling Pentecostal type family, right? And so when my grandparents start going to the Southern Baptist Church in Oklahoma, they're kind of going to a more, you know, not disenchanted, but like settled. Like we we could, at one point, everything's my great grandma. You couldn't send her money because she'd send it to Oral Roberts. You could only give her food if you wanted her to eat. So, you know, becoming a Baptist was actually settling down and trying to live a more normal life. Um, So it's interesting when you start seeing this about, Horror movie stuff. Like, has anybody ever read actually Dracula by Bram Stoker? Um, or you look at some of these old things. It's a lot of the English Protestants really trying to come to terms with uh, Catholicism and not really knowing what to do with it. And so, be, th- they're so worried about its sort of uh, exoticness, its its you know its ancientness that you kind of make a cartoon image of it, and that's really where the horror genre begins. And so what I think is interesting about this is if you could go in a time machine into the 80s and talk to my family members, surely one of the things they're worried about is like the devils and the demons and that this stuff is not good. But I think part of it is that they're really kind of worried about the Catholic adjacent imagery in a lot of this sort of stuff, right? Like Catholic to, to,
0: aesthetic, rather, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, you say? yeah.
1: Yeah, the idea that like a priest is the the one and that he needs to say prayers and that there's like authority to bind demons and it, it ends up somewhere. I, I think that that I'm not saying that that's like I don't even know if they'd be able to like put it that way. But I can tell that some of the discomfort is um, Hollywood has weirdified uh, symbols of Catholicism. And so, like you said, they still have a deep seated understanding. Right. That's the only way you can get rid of that sort of catholicy or eastern i mean a lot of its eastern europe imagery right uh is to go to sacramental traditions and so it's not only the demons that are the problem or that you like evil it's that to do something about it requires uh, a sacramental imagination and that might be just as bad right that you have to like use a crucifix or a stake through the heart or like you know the original dracula uh was kept in his coffin uh, this is you know not correct way to do this but in the book uh he has to put hosts on top of Dracula to keep him in the coffin. The person has to literally who gets Dracula back up, if I'm remembering right, opens the coffin and takes the hosts off so that Dracula can uh reanimate, right? And you imagine a bunch of like Anglicans talking about this in the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. You can see where the horror genre comes exactly from sort of uh Protestants not quite knowing what to do with um Catholics.
0: Yeah. That is an interesting point. Sam, did you have anything to add to that question of uh, um you know maybe this this way that the the Catholic Church really does take it even
2: seriously. Yeah, I do think it is interesting that that one of the main accusations around Catholicism during the Reformation was that it was essentially pagan um and, and you know being accused of popery or being a, a, a papist was, was, you know, almost as bad as being accused of being a witch or, or, or something like that because, you know, hey, you've got relics, you know, you've got holy water, you've, you've got, you know, these, these beads that you carry around, um, you know, you're, you're praying in some strange language. I mean, it all sounds kind of weird to, to Protestant ears. And, and so there's this idea that the Catholics essentially are pagan um is is an accusation that's kind of lingered for for centuries since the reformation um and and that's all bound up too with celebrations like halloween um and and so i just add, i would just add though too that you know th- th- uh, there is a danger of of a of a fascination with evil and it does disturb me sometimes when catholics too like we're, 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 we 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 to the exorcists as the only authorities on the spiritual life and and i've some seen some Catholics like out of a fascination with exorcism, going down this path of like being fascinated by demons and acting like demons are the only spiritual forces that are actually real, and sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that 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 angels there are good good supernatural forces as well, and I think the best thing that we can do is to draw our attention to the good and 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 uh and yet Halloween isn't about um stoking that fascination with evil it's actually about taking it with the lighthearted perspective of seeing it in the bigger the bigger story that's going on of redemption history and that that Christ is is capable of casting out these demons and that they are ultimately subject to him uh, and can't do anything that he doesn't give them per, per permission to do and i just remember the story of saint teresa of avila like being woken up in the middle of the night by the, by a devil, you know, cracking his whip and, you know, roaring at her. And she just turns, rolls over and just says, you know, oh, it's just you and just turns over and went back to sleep. And there's no fear there whatsoever. Um, and I think that's how we should live our Christian lives.
1: I think that that's um, a great way to put any of these questions like, oh, should we celebrate Halloween or, or how does this work? Um, to cite someone who's Catholic that people don't often realize this, but Marshall McLuhan, when he says the medium is the message, he actually has this very important point to make, that the message, which is the content, makes sense embedded in different contexts. It's a very Catholic thing uh, to understand, so you get even the the earliest patristic authors, right? The the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain in Matthew and Luke, for instance, are very similar, Uh, but they'll actually interpret them as like, Saying not different as opposed, but like getting at different things because they go well. This sermon on the mount, um the mountain is redundant of Mount Sinai, the new law, and it's royal and regal. And the sermon on the plain is horizontal and it's inclusive of everyone. And th- so th- they'll they'll give reason that because the nearly same message takes place in a different medium or context, that it's speaking to us even more and more. Halloween, anything like this, it's the same thing. If you take that content and you just dump it into the sort of sterilized, empty world of modernity, I can understand why Halloween looks like it's glorifying evil, and it's very problematic. But if you take that same stuff, like nearly the same stuff, and dump it into the medium and context of a liturgical world where we believe that uh, the world is full of angels and saints, and, and you know we, we have recourse, and we can pray for the dead, and all these things like this, Halloween not only becomes something quite innocent, but actually very good. Nearly the same sort of symbols, but the context, the medium in which it occurs is very important. And that's what I would say to any parent is you know, if 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 all this stuff with demons and ghouls and things like this is in a sort of empty world for you, it, I would be rightfully scared. But placed firmly um, in, in the, the, the entire field and garden of, of images that is the Catholic faith. I wouldn't bat an eye.
0: Well, and think about, too, like, once you reposition that within the liturgical worldview or within a Christian anthropology, the kind of conversations that opens up, right? So, you know, obviously, just like Christmas, you know, you de-Christianize Christmas, and obviously Target is going to be more focused on Frost the Snowman and Grandma getting run over by a reindeer, right? They're just going to miss all the, like, it's going to just default to the commercial, Right, it's going to default to the, you know, whatever whatever the, the the packaging is. Right, same with Halloween. We shouldn't be surprised. Same with Easter. Right, uh, gosh, same with Passover. My goodness. All right, you know, you just look around. It's like Passover, as far as most grocery stores are concerned, is about selling brisket and matzah. Right, it has nothing to do, like zero, zero religious overtones, as far as like the advertising world is concerned. But like you reposition it as you're saying in the liturgical context, but you also put it in the context of a Christian anthropology, and suddenly when you're talking about zombies, right, these reanimated souls who have had their intellect and will removed and are only done, they only uh, act according to animal instinct. Well, that, gets, that makes for a very interesting conversation about what is a human being when you take away the intellect and the will, right, and reduce it to only the passions, all right? Or even something like a vampire. This vampire has a corrupted taste for blood why is this vampire who has a corrupted taste for blood also laid flat by the Eucharist if not because human beings are built to receive Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, and here is a profanated, corrupted version of that desire that we see in a vampire, right? <laughs> or Frankenstein's monster, right? Um, what happens when we try and play God and think about, you know, not, well, the Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park quandary right the scientists being so concerned with whether or not they can that they are not asking the question of whether or not they should and that is kind of a moral lesson from pb shelley a long long time before uh you know they found mosquitoes in amber in jurassic park right so this is these you reposition these kinds of things and you start to see well here are different ways that people are kind of hungering for and asking questions about what it means to be a human being what it means to live in a world that God made Now, I'm not saying that that means that if you dress up like the clown from It for Halloween that you are honoring the Holy Trinity by that action. But I am saying that you have opportunities there to be like, okay, what are we as human beings? You know, what is it that God has put us in in this world of ours?
1: By the way, like uh, clowns is a funny one because I was trying to convince my kids that back in the day— Clowns were not automatically associated with horror movies, but they didn't believe me because, like, it's so it, to to their minds, if you're if you're below a teenager, clowns are about horror movies. And I'm like, oh no, clowns used to show up. All, it used to be Bozo the clown. Like, it, it, there was a big shift. That's all I'm saying. But yes, yeah, uh, you know, like Frankenstein is is uh, a paradigmatic example of this. Anytime I teach anything, where I talk about. Modern understandings of technology and the human—I go immediately to Frankenstein. That book is fantastic to get us to say, um, "What do we think the modern world is, and why are we scared of what we're capable of doing?" Um, and so, I always think it's interesting how insipid we try to make um some of the, like you said, vampires, zombies, and, and Frankenstein monsters. Were all these big questions about what is the human? and we're like, ah, let's let's just make them costumes. It's almost like we're hiding them in plain sight. So everything is like a sexy vampire, uh, you know, a funny Frankenstein, so that we don't ask these big questions like, I mean, it, I, I just deal with the bioethic world a lot. So I'm like, actually, I think if people would ask about the Frankenstein monster more often, we might pause uh, the uh, the downhill slide into some of this actual scary stuff, right? The real horror movies are happening Um, at hospitals and clinics every day so let's cartoonify uh i I think that's a brilliant point
0: yeah and uh, i mean even something like the werewolf uh right the moon comes out suddenly you transform into this thing that has no control over its passions and will and you can't really be blamed for what you did when you were a werewolf you know dr uh, Jekyll can't be blamed for what he did when he was Mr. Hyde like what if we could live our lives like that where we were just in a different mode and that wasn't really us that did that thing like what if we I mean these are the questions that, that can come up but I, I mean th- that's why these stories were actually written by the way originally is to to spark these kind of questions but Sam did you have anything to add to that before I move on to this next thing that I definitely want to get to no I, I think that that was all well said here's, uh, here's a fun one too um, and this is This is something that I think uh, we would have experienced, I guess, you know, I mean, Sam, you would have mentioned this, you know, right, walking through Walmart and seeing skulls and and things on display, skeletons and that sort of thing. Um, This question of memento mori, right, it's kind of made a resurgence due to another Oklahoman, by the way, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble has really kind of repopularized this idea uh, to the young people, right, of like, remembering your death, uh, right? Because this is something that nobody escapes right nobody escapes this earthly journey alive and the church has always kind of had this idea of you know having death before us always in the account we must give uh how has that changed the way or maybe developed the way that you think of depictions of of skeletons or or morbid things sam um now that you're catholic and have been for a few years
2: yeah, I would say the biggest thing is it's just taken the fear out of it. Uh and, you know, it's it's interesting that in Catholicism there's there are some things that to outside eyes are kind of strange, like uh having a saint's skull in a in a box that you venerate or like, you know, uh Saint John Vianney's heart is preserved uh, you know, miraculously uh somewhere and and just things like that, that are, um, to the outside world are morbid. All like, why would you want to, why would you want to focus on that? Or, or you think of like the Capuchin, uh, bone chapel that is, that is a little weird, I have to say. Um, but it has like, you know, all the bones of these Capuchin friars just kind of, uh, laid out everywhere. But the point being that, that death is not the end. It's the beginning. And, and these are not morbid. Things that that it just are doom and gloom—they are actually symbols of hope. Ironically, as it might seem, um, that that not only um, is the spiritual world real, uh, but uh, we can we are we enter into that when we die. Death is 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 a, is a doorway into a higher reality. It's not something to be feared, and so these are. These are actually comforting things to Catholics, as strange as it might seem. But beyond that, this this idea of memento morio, remembering your death, I think, again, this can be seen as something depressing. Like, why would you want to think about your death all the time? Like, death is something sad. It's something that we grieve over. It's something that uh, leaves this big uh, kind of hole in your family when you pass on. And, like, it's just a terrible reality um but again from a catholic perspective we're we're seeing reality with different eyes and different values and a different uh orientation that is is eternal in scope and not temporal and so recognizing that your time on this earth is finite gives a new intensity to life
0: yeah i love that the the lives of the saints aspect of this question too because not only do you see skulls and skeletons depicted in catholic art all over the place um but also it is amazing to me uh how often you will see a catholic saint depicted and they'll be depicted with the symbols of their martyrdom and sometimes depicted with the wounds of their martyrdom uh you know a great example of this is of course saint bartholomew who is skinned alive and is depicted in a few different places like holding his skin like sort of draped over his arms like a cloth or um I always like the example of in Cincinnati where I used to live for many years they have um, St. Francis Xavier Church. It's an extraordinary church in downtown Cincinnati and in the back, because it's run by Jesuits they've got um, one of the great Jesuit martyrs, St. Isaac Jogues uh, who he came to North America, was ministering um, to the Native Americans here and uh, some of them didn't like that right? and they chewed off his index finger and his thumb so that he could not, you know, celebrate mass properly. And then he went back and got a special indult so he could come back and celebrate mass and minister again before they actually martyred him fully. But if you look at that statue of him, right, his fingers are chewed off, (laughs) right, on the statue. And there's something about that. Uh, You know, what's interesting is that, you know, I come from a punk rock and metal background, and there are people in that world who can't relate to certain aspects of christianity but still have a weird fascination with catholicism and its cathedrals and its art and its martyrdom and its blood and its guts pieces right and it's partly because they have that kind of already fascination with death but they don't have like a way to properly orient it and so in some ways there that is still kind of like a it has like an evangelistic power a beautiful power to people who might have that kind of, they're haunted by this question of death, right? They're haunted by the question of their own death. They don't have a place to put it yet. And by the church being kind of explicit in the way that it talks about and portrays it and depicts it, um, it sort of, I think opens the door for a possible kind of conversation with people who are in that world.
1: Yeah. I think that um, I come from the other heavy metal uh, genre outlaw country and you think about how much, like, those guys, you know, I always loved that Johnny Cash's first um, uh, comp- compilation three CD set was God Love... Love, God, Murder? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting at, Love, God, Murder, yeah. I and got then, that uh, one. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, you just hear, like, you know, Ray Charles and Willie Nelson, Seven Spanish Angels. It's very bad theology, but the sort of, like, yearning for exactly this memento mori thing. Um, It, you know, pervades that. And for me, you know, just like country music losing its way to, like, where they never talk about death anymore except in syrupy sweet ways on the radio. I mean, my family in many ways lived through that. There used to be a memento mori closeness to death. Because when you were poor and you lived in the rural areas, you understood what that was like. But the idea that as we all became middle class – you know you were supposed to put away your country bumpkin ways and that that's that's like obsession with death is something that you you shouldn't get you, you're not supposed to have anymore. And so to me it's a it's a it's an interesting thing to think about becoming Catholic and like raising my kids where we go to cemeteries and pray for the dead and frankly they make people uncomfortable all the time how much they talk about death. I have to tell them to chill out sometimes actually. But um I remember growing up and death Never being a problem to talk about, like people died all the time. I mean, you know, people weren't unhealthy. People died at work. um There became a time when it started to be rude, and uh, I think that that is something that's really important. You know, even even you see this like movement in Catholicism itself, where uh Catholics, immigrant Catholic communities, don't want to be on the outside looking in, and so one of the things they're willing to do is like tamper down some of the stuff that makes them look. Not middle class, and that gets into sort of things like liturgical practices around the dead and things like this. Um, it's important for us to not be embarrassed of our dead, precisely because um, at the judgment, the you know those prayers for the dead are are precisely one of the things we rely upon most. Like, did we did we did we pray for the dead so that they can vouch for us um, when it's our turn in front of the judgment seat? and you know woe to us if being embarrassed um in the american story you know we 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 thought we should downplay that just to fit in more
0: yeah well but even you know there 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 are a hundred ways to talk about this first of all in the outlaw country point you're talking to a guy who when i took my son to his first confession he was singing mama tried in the car on the ride over so i i
1: should have worn my mama tried shirt i have a you t-shirt you should have worn the mama tried <laughs> shirt
0: uh but the other thing too is like i mean even in I mean, there's just constant complaints about endless violence being shown in movies and video games, but the fact of the matter is, is that you watch, like I remember watching Obi-Wan Kenobi right before I canceled my Disney Plus subscription, right? And there's there's this thing, this trope in that world and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in Rambo even, like, that if you're a primary character, you can be stabbed through the stomach with a lightsaber- and survive. If you're a stormtrooper, you can die with one punch, right? So surrounded by death, but it's not a death None of the deaths mean anything, right? Because they're not like real, right? So so even in that we've sort of shielded ourselves like we're surrounded by death and dying, but it's all like expendable characters and the church is like no you You are gonna die your mama's gonna die your daddy's gonna die <laughs> like you're all gonna die, right? So let's get right with the Lord uh because this is a, an inescapable reality but um I wish we had more time to talk about this we've t- we've, just we've want... taken up a lot of time.
2: Oh yeah, go ahead Sam. What you were talking about like uh Saint Isaac Jogues and and just the suffering he went through and the in and this and, and also just the the relics that Catholics have and like and, and just this memento mori and and again I want to emphasize because I think these things can be so easily misunderstood that these are profoundly hopeful things. Because what are the facts of human existence in this fallen world? Decay, suffering, and death. These are things that are all going to touch us in various ways throughout our lives. And if you haven't experienced them yet, you probably will at some point. <laughs> and, 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 but the, the profound message of Christianity is hope, that there is something greater than these forces that are at work, these forces of decay and death, that are at work in, in this fallen world. There's something greater. And what is that? It's love. You know, despite that torture that St. Isaac Jones went through, what drove him to go back to North America? Despite all odds, love. It was love that made him go back. You know, what was, what was the love that drove, or what drove the saints to go through many of the sufferings that they experienced? It was love. And I think that's ultimately the message of Christianity, is that love is greater than death. Love is greater than suffering. And if you if you have the love of God in your heart, you can endure literally anything. And so all of these things that to the world seem kind of morbid and creepy or whatever, it's not the message. The message is hope, that love transcends death. And that is what we can look forward to. And that puts everything in a completely different perspective.
0: Well, and if you don't believe that, then just look at what the central event in Christianity is, and the central symbol of Christianity—it's the crucifix, right? It's the passion and death of our cro- uh, uh, of Christ on the cross, which is suffering born out of love, <laughs> right? I mean, this is this this is the whole thing. This is what the whole thing is about. But um, man, I feel like we could talk about this for a much longer period of time. And there's a whole bunch of crazy questions I didn't get to, but we at least got to zombies and Frankenstein and hell houses and Jack Chick. So we're mostly covered. Uh, Before I let you go, Bo, uh, where can people find you if they want to get in touch and catch up on some of your projects?
1: Oh, yeah, thank you. So um, mchs.edu is Mercy College's uh, website. You can check out all we're doing there. You can find me there. If you go to iowacatholicradio.com, you can find our show, The Uncommon Good, Um, And other folks, Uncommon Good, you can find that uh, wherever iTunes and places like that um, have podcasts. And then um, if you want to read up on anything that I've written, uh, Church Life Journal uh, out of the McGrath Life Institute at Notre Dame um, has published uh, some of my writings there. So, yep, would uh, love to hear from folks and uh, happy Halloween.
0: Yeah, and you and your uh, com- Uncommon Good co-host, Bud Marr, have both been on The Journey Home. Go check out those episodes. I'll link them in the show notes. Sam, you've taped The Journey Home, but as of this particular recording, it has not aired yet, but it will. And everybody, um, hopefully, who's paying attention to this will get uh, notified when that happens. But in the meantime, what other stuff are you involved in that people can check out?
2: Yeah, well, the main things are uh, Catholic Gentlemen, uh, which is a, a, a website, a blog for Catholic men, catholicgentleman.com. Also, the podcast is uh, a a main uh, effort right now. You can find the Catholic Gentleman podcast on YouTube, on any podcast player of your choice. Uh, So the Catholic Gentleman podcast. And then um, lastly is the book, the Catholic Gentleman book, uh, uh, Catholic Gentleman Living Authentic Manhood Today. So those are just the three main things I'm involved in. Um, And check it out. Yeah, you recently on that
0: podcast had our buddy Paul Figpin on talking about aliens, which is another topic we could have gotten into in connection with Halloween, but we, we just ran out of time. So, yeah, Jeff, definitely go out and check out uh, Sam's site, The Catholic Gentleman, and Bo's stuff, Mercy College, and uh, Uncommon Good, and all of it, but it's all going to be linked in the show notes. In the meantime, thanks, Bo. Thanks, Sam. Have a great day. Blessings. All right, and thank you for listening to this episode of Coming Home Network Presents. I'm Matt Swain. We'll catch you next time around.